Hi and welcome to Authorised. My name's Kevin Hillier. This is episode four and if you want to check out the other episodes, all the podcast platforms where you found this, you'll find uh, our other episodes including a terrific one with uh, uh, well-known AFL footballer Dale Thomas and his uh, children's book and Monica McInerney. Today we have a sporting theme as well. Two gentlemen who've jumped into the realm of ghostwriting to present stories about two very well-known football identities. We'll get to that in a tick but a reminder about our terrific partners in this podcast and that is CS Consulting Group. If you have a financial question, they have the answer. They can certainly help you uh, get through all the uh, the ups and downs of the financial world and uh, and talk to you in a, a nice, you know, simple language that all of us understand about the financial world. 9974 is their telephone number. They're in Melbourne. Uh, check out their website. That's where you'll find out everything you need to know about the services they have, the people that work there, the people you'll be dealing with, the people you'll talk to when you phone that 9974 number. CSCG.com.au. Good people. Uh, you'll deal with them and uh, you'll be saying exactly the same thing about them. Now, today, uh, two books have come into the uh, the market. Autobiographies are very big at this time of the year, particularly as, uh, as seasons in, uh, in different sports finish. Uh, and uh, the end of the careers of two great players, Jared Ruffhead and Gary Ablett. Peter Hanlon took on the task of uh, joining Ruffy to uh, tell his story and Wes Cusworth got together with Gary Ablett to tell his story. Both great stories, both great storytellers uh, and how they've gone about putting these books together is uh, what we'll talk about uh, and the stories that they found out we'll talk about in this podcast. First up, it's Peter Hanlon uh, through Penguin. He has a, a book called Ruffy. It's all about Jared Ruffhead, his story on and off the field. Let's catch up with Pete. Peter, congratulations on the book. It's uh, it's Ruffy, the autobiography. Um, what's what's your role in helping him put this all together? Cheers, Kev. Look, I, I was um, called in. I did Nick Revolt's um, autobiography a couple of years ago, and yep. on the back of that, I guess it sort of that's that led me circuitously to Ruffy, um, Ruffy, and and Nick and Bob Murphy, who I also I sort of have a relationship with through when Bob was first writing for The Age when I was still there. Um, I was editing at that time and, and when Bob sort of started writing columns, I was his, his ghost or his go-to there and the three of them have got a quite strong relationship. Their, their wives get on really well. They, they catch up fairly regularly. So when um, Ruffy kind of decided or perhaps had his arm twisted a little bit um, to do his, his book, um, he's always said right through that if he, if he hadn't have had cancer, he didn't see himself as someone who would do a footy book, even though he's had such a incredible playing career. Um, but when he did come around to the idea that okay, all right, I'll do a book, um, then it was yeah. He, it, I think somehow he spoke to Nick, or perhaps Nick and Bob, and they pointed him in my direction. So that's how how I came into the fold there. So what do you do? Do you sit down with him with a recorder and just uh, start from uh, Lee and Gather and, and work your way through it? <laughs> how did how did you yeah. how did you attack it? Yeah, pretty much. There's a lot of uh, I think the probably the biggest job in a ghostwriter's well job is, is is the research and making sure that you you know you're quite well across his story. Obviously, the the aim is to find out a lot of things that that you haven't heard before and that um, people people don't know about someone, even though they're a figure who's been around for 15 years and played 280 games of footy. You you hope to sort of scratch the surface enough that there's some things there that. Uh, that are new and fresh and interesting, but um, yeah, each time, Kev, uh, I'd sort of prepare. We'd decide what we were going to talk about, and and I'd prepare for that. And uh, I live in Birragarra, which is about an hour and a half from the western fringe of Melbourne. And Ruffy's across in Hawthorne, so we'd sort of make the arrangement. Generally, it fell around 
his little he and Sarah's little one Pippa. So Pippa would be having a morning nap. Usually we'd we'd arrange it that I'd arrive about ten thirty or eleven o'clock in the morning, and we'd always never try and sit down for longer than about an hour. Yeah, just sit down and turn the tape on, and righto, we're talking about where you're from for a start. You know, everything starts at the beginning, doesn't it? And where your where your families come from. So you just work your way through each little chunk of their life, I guess. The, the thing I get out of the book is just how many defining moments can one person have in their life? Because by geez, he's had a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has. What one struck you? Tell me. What, Look, well, what's there's, defining... the, well there's, there's the upbringing in the country, which, which defines you as a person and, and, and I guess sets the values for your life. There's joining a football club uh, that, that is, has got such an aura about it uh, when, when he joined it and had the success. And what you, what you buy into there is kind of like your second family. And then there's yep. then there's the, then there's the cancer, and the way you balanced it in the book, I think, is beautiful because you haven't let any one of those uh, those sort of areas of his life be the one. They're all part of it, and it's beautifully balanced, I reckon. Yeah, cheers. Now, look, that's a, a lot down to Jared's balance is a good word for Jared. He's he's, he's got it. Um, yeah, I think so. Starting with the, I suppose his heritage and his background. I've always been a really big believer. When the time I was, the twenty odd years I was at the age, I probably was writing feature stories for about half of that. And I was a really, you know, strong believer that everyone's got a story. Um, and and generally that story starts with our parents or our family or where we've come from. And we had one one really sort of seminal moment, I suppose, in doing Ruffy was we went to Leongatha one day, spent a day at Leongatha, um, met his nan. So his nan on. On the rough head side, oh, his, yes. his dad's <laughs> mum, uh, who is an absolute ripper. So she lives next door to Mitch Wallace's nan, which is uh, a lovely little aside. But yep. she's the keeper of the rough head stories and the rough head records. And, you know, she's got the scrapbooks and she's got oh, the, the sort of, um, you know, the trinkets that came back from, from the war that um, the great grandfather fought in. And she she know, knows the whole lot and where all the bodies are buried. And, yeah. Um, so she was a great person to spend some time with, and that really informed, yeah, you know, that that resilience, I suppose, where that where that's come from with Jared. So that, that was uh, that was certainly a, a lovely part of it, I suppose, for me, and a defining moment. She also has the black Tupperware spoon and the jar of joy. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, the jar of joy is a ripper with the uh, the little rum balls in it, which yes. is still the same one that was there when Jared and his, and his siblings were growing up. And uh, yeah, they all had a crack at the black Tupperware spoon at some point. I think she used to do a fair bit of babysitting then, and uh, uh, yeah, she could uh, she could rule with an iron fist when she needed to. It seems. Well, I love the story about when Jared went back to play cricket with his brother, and they decided they were going to go from the traditional roughhead uh, team and go across to the uh, the other Lee and Gather team, and that was all fine with everybody as long as Nan said it was okay. <laughs> It becomes a little bit like a mafia family, doesn't yes. it, when you put it like that? Yes. It's sort of, yeah, okay, yeah, everyone else is okay with it, but we have to get a clearance from Nan. And once Nan had kicked off on it, it was uh, it was all okay. Yeah, that was in Jared. Uh, Jared was already at Hawthorne, I think, in his first couple of years, and he snuck back home um, early summer a couple of times and played to play with his brother Cam, who who I would say um, as close as Ruffy is to people like Jordan Lewis and Luke Hodge, Buddy Franklin, um, Cam's his his greatest mate on the planet. So uh, he just loved that idea. And they both did it, the two of them playing together. And uh, of course, the punchline is very 
Roughhead or very Jared that they had a new bat which they both used on the day and the, <laughs> the bat made 226 for the day I think and Cam got exactly zero of them <laughs> and um, Ruffy just hit him everywhere apparently. It was great. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely uh, story that where Cam says, uh, uh, w- w- the dad says, uh, how was your day? And he said, oh, it was terrific. I had a great day. He said, well, w- what'd you do? He said, well, uh, you know, I got a duck and Jared made 226. <laughs> it, was, it was a good day, but between us we made 226. It was Average 113, which yeah. is, uh, and knocked the new bat in as well. Yeah, exactly. It talks about his country upbringing and talking about uh, what, it, what it gave him was resilience, humour and optimism. A lot of words used about Jared Ruffhead, uh, about him as a as a young boy, and about him as a as a footballer, and about him as a man. What words do come immediately to mind for you to describe him? Discipline is probably, I reckon, a footballer's discipline. The thing that I took out of it, Kev, spending the best part of two years in and out of Ruffy's life, I suppose, because wow. we certainly didn't catch up more than. You know, sometimes it would be weekly, but sometimes we'd go six weeks without catching up. It would just depend on the time of the year and how things were going. But the footballer's discipline that he brought to his illness, I think is probably a large factor in why he's still with us, which, um, you know, it's an incredible thing as a footballer. He's, he's played in four flags. He's played 280 odd games. He's won a Coleman medal. He's been all Australian. He's captained Hawthorne. But I reckon that discipline and that approach to um, his illness, that footballer, that elite athlete's discipline that he took to his illness is, yeah, it's, it's a huge um, factor in what he's been able to do in getting getting through it, I suppose. And he said that right from the outset that there was genuine um, uncertainty about whether Jared was going to get through. He said, I treated it like a footy injury. I asked what, what I had to do to get over it, how long I was going to be out and how I was going to get back. And yeah, that, that discipline, I think, is... Um, is an incredibly strong part of who he is. Uh, that can often, though, be you can be as solid as a rock, but then someone comes up to you and says something like what his wife said to him when he came back and talked to her about having the lumps on his on his lungs that they'd found. Uh, yep. uh, it, it, it appeared on his lungs, uh, and what she said to him. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that you just bloody hell. You just you can't handle that. No, no. And look, that was yeah, it's incredible window on how our world can change in a heartbeat, isn't it? That yeah. Jared had been out at the footy club on a normal Monday. They'd done the recovery and the review from the weekend's game and he'd gone into Peter McCallum for what was, at that point, I think three-month checks or it might have been out to six-monthly six checks by that point. And he was really just expecting, you know, okay, everything's well. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. We'll see you again in a few months' time. And um, they told him that the lumps were there on under his lungs in four spots. And to go home then to Sarah, um, and yeah, Jared. Clearly, they, they're one of the great sort of partnerships as well. Um, the fact that he first his first instinct was to drive back to the footy club, which yeah. is, says a lot about footballers too. That um, that's their safe haven in a way. And he went back there and um, got Jordan Lewis to turn around and came back in tears and caught up with him. And I suppose formulated a bit of a plan of okay, I've got to go home and tell Sarah how am I going to do this. And yeah, that that um, comes through very strongly, I suppose, in the in the book of just what a moment that must have been walking in there and especially as they, they were renovating their house at the time and living out of kind of boxes and they had one little two-seater couch and cooking in an electric fry pan and, you know, a tiny little portable telly and Sarah sort of sat there, huddled up on this little couch and he walked in and told her that and, you know, her reaction of, um, are you going to die? As Jared said, I said no and I told her and we won't ask, we won't discuss that again and that's how he got through it and, yeah. yep, they just, trucked on from there and as, I'm sure that well, it, um, comes through very strongly too that 
that was harder for Sarah, perhaps, than Jared in a way. Um, no, Jared just charted the course of positivity and this is where we're going and I'm going to beat this and away they went. Uh, talk about his footy for a, for a, for a moment. Um, his drafting was was quite interesting, and it was. I mean, it is. Uh, uh, footy historians will tell you one of the most extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily talented drafts of all time was the one that he was in, and uh, yeah. he's, he sort of got thrown a few surprises uh, among the whole process, didn't he? He did, yeah. And and it's so. Um, <laughs> there were so many names in in play. At, uh, in this Kev that I can't even remember exactly the order that he thought it was going to go and I don't think he does either but he went to the draft quite convinced that he was going to Hawthorne, uh, to um, Richmond sorry, and to the point where they'd, um, they'd decorated the house back in Lee and Gather in Richmond Colours for the <laughs> welcome home party that afternoon um, and the Lydia obviously went at one and then so Richard Tamley was involved too and there was Ruffy kind of thought he was definitely going to Richmond. Buddy, Franklin, Jordan Lewis were all sort of in the mix there and ends up the three of them, Franklin, Lewis and Ruffhead, all end up going to Hawthorne. And he knew Buddy reasonably. Well, yeah, he got to know him a little bit by that stage through interstate underage carnivals and the like. And, yeah, he tells the story beautifully of his name being called out and then Franklin's being called out as well. And, and looking over his shoulder in the, the draft, which I think was at the National Tender Centre, the Turning around and Buddy's just got this big smile on his face and gives him a wink, you know, and that's that's the beginning of one of the great footy partnerships, I guess, and Lewis throwing into the mix as well. Yeah, Geordie um, thought he was going to be going to Port Adelaide, but uh, he finished up at Hawthorne as well. So the, the Hawthorne yeah. recruiters uh, of that era, were uh, uh, that was a masterstroke. The, lovely, the other lovely story about that is Neil Danaher interviewing him uh, when they go around and talk to all the clubs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Neil was just absolutely 100% Neil. Yeah, well, it was Neil, wasn't it, who said to him that we're not going to take you. We've just heard you're a good bloke yes. and we wanted to have a chat. Yes. And that's uh, that's hilarious that even at 17, uh, Jared had that sort of that way about him that, you know, draws people to him. And uh, recruiters who <laughs> – recruiters and footy clubs at, uh, at draft camps have got a fair bit on their plate, I reckon, Kev. I've never covered one myself, but – I reckon they do about a million interviews. Well, they just made it a million and one just because they thought Ruffy would be good to sit yeah. down with for 20 minutes. I reckon that's, that's a classic, that one. Um, it wasn't all the beer and Skittles at, at Hawthorne. I mean, they didn't win every year. They they, they suffered, uh, you know, the, the 2012 loss to Sydney really hurt them. And, uh, but they got one, he got one up early in 2008 and, and that sort of, that uh, that really did, it, it fed that group's hunger, didn't it? Yeah, that set them away, and and they do, you know. Jared admits, as, as everyone at Hawthorne at the time did, that it was probably the it was the one before their time in a way, and they it was certainly one out of the blue. Geelong were well and truly expected to to take that, but I I think the great thing with that with Jared's story was that it it didn't leave any of them satisfied. They you know they had a few pretty lean years after that, or a bit of a lean stretch, and yeah, I think the, the great takeaway from two thousand and eight was what it spurred in them. It made them the team that could win a win a hat trick of flags a couple of years later, and and now, well, always will be remembered as one of the great footy teams and great eras that we've ever seen. Uh, some lovely insights into Alistair Clarkson and some of the things he did to uh, to keep them all interested too in the book, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, another really interesting part of it, I suppose, is the journey of doing the book. And Jared didn't shy away from it at all. That for all they'd been through, um, when push came to shove, and Ruffy's career was, you know, reaching an end and Clarko pretty much called him aside one day, <laughs> took him very much by surprise and said, so what do you, what do you want to do next year? Um, do you want to be a golf? We can get you to Gold Coast if you want. We can get you to St Kilda. We can get you wherever you want to go. And Ruffy was like, 
um, I want a bit Hawthorne. Yeah. <laughs> it was, okay, well, we'll make that happen too. But then, you know, as everyone knows, he's, he's last year in 2019, although it finished in the absolute fairy tale of a farewell game where he kicked six against Gold Coast, he, he only played a few games and you know, he spent that time in, in the reserves running around. He talks about playing at Victoria Park and falling in dog shit and um, <laughs> you know, playing down at Frankston in the hosing rain and yeah. sideways gale and that sort of thing. It, it was a real back to um, back to where he'd started sort of experience for him. But he says, so there were, there were times he doesn't shy away from where he and Clarko didn't speak much during 2019. But, yeah. you know, he comes away from it saying, if I was, if Sarah and I weren't married and we we're getting married tomorrow, you know, he'd be, he'd be at the wedding. Absolutely. You know, he's, our relationship will be bigger than what's happened in this last few few months and that difficult period. But I guess that was an insight too. And that yes, Clarko's he takes no prisoners, as everyone knows. Um, he's he's done it with so many so many greats of the club. If he feels like for the benefit of the club that it's better to have a younger bloke in there than you, he does it. Yeah, I'm, Jared respects him for that, and Jared knows as well that at the start of his career it was it was guys like Nick Collins who spent a bit of time in the seconds while Jared and and Buddy got their got their game time that made them the players that they are. So, yeah, he's an incredible figure, Clarko, and um, all those blokes who played under him, yeah, they, they love him a bit. The the story, uh, I mean, the, the the cancer part of it folds in and out of the story. I mean, you start with it and, and it's not the certainly not the elephant in the room in the book. It, it's right at the very front and then there's some uh, some really powerful stuff uh, in the book from uh, from his nurse, uh, from the oncologist, uh, from his brother and uh, from his wife too, which is a really, really nice, uh, some nice moments in there. A slightly unconventional way of doing yeah, the book, is. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's been done with some other books, and I spoke to Jared about it, um, and it just felt like the right way to go about it to just get, have these little sort of snippets from people who have been very, very close to his story. Um, because, as I said earlier, with Sarah and Jared, took what happened to him in the way Jared does, which was a stubborn, determined head down. Let's get on with it. But everyone else around him wasn't like that. You know, they were they were impacted at. Everyone was impacted differently by by Jared's illness. Um, so I guess yeah, heading heading through that and seeing that through different lenses was was really important. And yeah, look, the, the, I still even if I do read back over the, the pages where Jared's talking about the absolute uh, worst time I suppose in the illness when he'd had the immunotherapy, which was a you know it was a trial really, and he was so crook at different times in that, and crook in a way that <laughs> the medical experts didn't know what was going to happen, you know, he was a guinea pig and to be kind of waking up in the middle of the night to the point where he had a bucket of cold water next to the bed because he'd wake up with his feet on fire, just absolutely feeling like they were on fire, roll out of bed, put them in the bucket, dry them off, roll back into bed and try and sleep. You know, Sarah's sort of in the bed next to him experiencing that. Geordie Lewis copped it one time, he was well enough to go and again, that determination. He was well enough to go to a game when Hawthorne were playing in Perth, and he went across and ruined with Jordan Lewis as he does he did on any interstate trips. And Lewis waking up and seeing Jared lying on the floor with the soles of his feet up against the sort of um, piled wall or something, which was cold, you know, cool, just to try and cool his feet down. Yeah, I think everyone around Jared was probably more blown away by the impact and how how crook he actually was yeah. than perhaps Jared ever let <laughs> will ever let on. 
Yeah, and to to have got through that, to have you know could, uh, finished his football career off, and he's moved into coaching now. But to, the way he sort of structured his family up and all all those things, it's uh, it is a it's a bloody life lesson. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to take out of Ruffy. I reckon he's yeah, I um, you know he's he's a no uh, he's a no bullshit sort of person. Pardon the French. Just he yep. he really just gets his head down and righto, what's required, let's get on with it. But I guess the other really beautiful thing for any as a ghostwriter to to have a couple of years, as I said before, in and out of he and Sarah's life. Um, yeah, to to have him thank me at the end for how respectful uh, I was of, of his family. That that's one of the loveliest things that that I've had happen in my sort of thirty odd years of, of journalism. Yeah, it was a it was a really uh, lovely and worthwhile project to be yeah. involved. Peter Hanlon with the story of Ruffy, which is out and about and available now, as they say in all good bookshops, as is the Gary Ablett uh, autobiography, which was ghostwritten by Wes Cusworth, who uh, joins me now to have a chat about uh, his connection with Gary Ablett. Wes Cusworth, welcome to Authorised and congratulations on the Gary Ablett book. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's been a really exciting journey. It hasn't been easy all the way because it was obviously quite a large task, but it was I mean, it's enormous for me to have the opportunity to work with Gary and for him to open up his world to me has been really, really delightful. The first question, an obvious question, is what's the connection between you and Gary? Yeah, that's a really interesting one, and it actually extends back quite some time. Uh, in fact, about 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, I, was, I was a teacher at Christian College previously in Geelong, and Gary was a student there. Now, I'd seen him come up through the ranks through the primary years along with Nathan, Natasha, and Alicia, and also got to know Gary Sr. well, not only through the church, but also through he being a parent of a student and four students at the school. And so I had Gary in year 10, uh, and it was pretty evident to me at that particular point that whilst he was fairly serious about everything that he did in life, he was particularly focused on sport and really pursuing uh, a sporting career. Now, the interesting story, as the book will tell you, is that wasn't strictly in terms of football initially, but obviously that was where he saw the pathway developing and opening up for him, and he became a, an outstanding player, as we all know. So was it basketball? It was, yes. Interestingly enough, uh, NBA basketball was his passion. I mean, he, he just... Um, absolutely adores the sport and follows it so closely. He's actually been to America and met some of the biggest sports stars in the whole world. I've been away with him on a a bit of a road trip doing um, an MC task uh, and interviewing him as part of a panel. And then he spent probably the the next 45 minutes after the event um, at a school gym actually playing basketball with the kids and anyone else that would want to take him on -on (laughs) one-on-one. He just absolutely adores the sport. Interesting story too is that when he was a little kid, uh, the rules are in junior sport that you can't score uh, any more than this particular maximum number of points. But Gary would go out and score all of his points before anyone else on the court had scored anything (laughs) and then he'd have to start passing the ball around. He was a natural. (laughs) <laughs> no great surprise, really, is it? Um, no. so, so when did the approach come from Gary to, because, uh, I mean, I, I would assume, uh, as we all would, that Gary's been hounded about doing a book or telling his story or uh, in some form for, for a number of years. So when did it kind of all take place that he, that he came to you and said, okay, let's do this thing and I'd like you to do it with me? 
So in late 2018, Gary and I reconnected on that particular uh, MC role that I had. He and Asava Radiglia and I had a road trip to Druin and we had a really, really good chat. And I think uh, obviously there's some sensitivities around Gary's story, both with what his father has been through and uh, an experience just as a footballer, also the death of his sister and the like. And Gary and I, I think it would be fair to suggest, have a fairly similar faith perspective. And no doubt Gary has been hounded for a long time by a lot of publishing companies to do a book. And uh, when Hardy Grant put the proposal to him and he was encouraged by his wife, Jordan, to actually pursue that, he then came to me in late 2018. In fact, um, we reconnected in late 2018 and he came to me in early 2019 and said, was I interested in doing the book? And of course, uh, my initial reaction was that, yes, absolutely, I was delighted with the prospect. But uh, at the same time, I was realistic about my own capabilities and I sought some wise counsel from friends who were pretty seasoned in that space and asked them what they thought and how it might all unfold and whether or not they thought that I was genuinely capable of doing that. And uh, I was really delighted that uh, I had the affirmation from a number of those people. Yeah. Uh, was it a difficult task or was it an easy uh, an easy relationship between you and Gaz? Oh, I think it was a really easy relationship between us. The difficulty was obviously finding time, making sure that we were able to um, align our timetables. But, I mean, Gary's a really engaging person and it's one of the most delightful parts of the whole process was working with Gary and realising that he had become a genuinely good adult. He is a really, really lovely, engaging, warm person, looks you in the eye, shakes your hand, is asking as many questions as you're asking him. And I mean, my task was to obviously tease out his life story. And and whilst I felt that I knew a lot about that, there were things that I learned that um, about his upbringing and um, just the, the different perspectives that he had to uh, either adopt or, or maybe even modify across the course of his journey. So he's a really, really engaging person. He's a fine human. He's also a very private person and someone who has, has shunned that uh, that intrusion into his life and seen it as an intrusion, and quite rightly so because it is, <laughs> of the press and the way they go about things and uh, the paparazzi and things. So how um, how guarded was he with you at the start, or did was there was there a kind of a was there a feeling out process, or had you already kind of done that? Uh, I, I think to a certain extent there was a little bit of a feeling out process uh, and, and there would be things that were discussed that Gary would later say, hey, oh, maybe I don't necessarily want to go there, so maybe we'll just leave that alone. I, I think he was pretty open and I think that continued to unfold as our relationship grew and the I suppose the story developed. It's uh, you know, a wonderful narrative for Gary's life story, but certainly um, there's a, a level of uh, protecting family information, but then that's with all of us. That's oh, not yeah. surprising. Uh, but, yeah, he's a really great storyteller, and uh, and I think that'll be evident when people read the book. Is he misunderstood? Is the public perception of him uh, out of kilter to, to the person that you know? I just think he's uh, actually a, um, a warmer, more embracing finer, inclusive person than than even the media portrays. I think if people had the privilege of getting to know Gary at a personal level, they would realise just what a, a wonderful human he is. And I think maybe we just don't get to see that quite so much because he doesn't do an enormous number of interviews. He doesn't 
put himself out there like some high-profile players do in terms of availing themselves to the media. And I think he's just really cautious because I think you and I would agree, Kev, that he he probably can look back on what he sees of the intrusion into his father's life and he kind of thinks, well, I don't really want that to be my story. So I think this is this, the beauty of this book is that it provides an insight into Gary's life that I think if people, I mean, obviously I'm interested in people buying the book, but I think if people don't, take the opportunity to learn about Gary through reading this story. They may not ever get to know the real Gary. Yeah, um, he certainly talks really openly about his faith journey and um, and the impact that injuries had on him and, and also just the really confronting time there and that end of 2006, beginning of 2007 season with the leading team's experience and being confronted pretty honestly and brutally honestly by his teammates in them telling him that um, he really needed to to lift his act because he was the man around which they could actually build a football team. But at that point in time, they felt that he wasn't really performing to expectations. Yeah. Everyone wants to get the dirt on him uh, and on his dad. And, uh, you know, if his dad blinks twice, uh, it's, it's in the papers and, and stuff. So how does the, that uh, that cloud of his father, how, how does he handle that? And, and I know you've, uh, you've got uh, his dad uh, in the book as well. Yeah, that's right. His father, uh, I felt really quite privileged once again, had the opportunity to talk pretty openly with Gary Senior. It was made very clear that this is Gary's, Gary Junior's book. This is his story. He's his own man. And I think that's really important to understand. I don't think the, the relationship to his father weighed heavily on him in terms of the development of his career. I think he really established his own identity. And I think that's pretty evident through the book too. I, I don't feel that um, he certainly doesn't go down the, the narrative of some of the stories that people might envisage that he does about his father, because this is really his story. This, this is not about Gary Senior. He relates really quite amusingly to the fact that uh, it dawned on him as a young boy that his father was one of the greats of the game when people would be coming to school saying that, you know, pretending at recess and lunchtime that they were Gary Ablett <laughs> taking big marks and kicking great goals and things like that. And I found that really quite um, <laughs> delightful that he might be able to recall that sort of story and that sort of experience. And that was almost an epiphany for him to understand that, oh, my, my yeah. father is actually one of the greats of the game. <laughs> yeah, as a kid over there, he thinks he's, he's trying to be – that's my dad he's trying to be. That's a, exactly. That, that, that is quite – that's quite uh, an amazing uh, sort of thing to have happen to you. The leaving Geelong and coming back to Geelong, is that uh, sort of uh, – uh, how, how do you handle that in both in both ways? Yeah, really, really interesting because I think there was a, a level of anguish at both ends, wasn't there, really? Yeah. Leaving Geelong, he was very undecided. I mean, obviously, there were great opportunities, uh, both financially and also just leadership opportunities. And Gary really looks back on his time at Gold Coast most positively because he understands and appreciates what that did for him in terms of the shaping him as an individual. But at the same time, it wasn't an easy decision to leave. And, you know, he would have been a part of the 2011 Premiership. Geelong may have had further premierships had Gary Ablett remained, but the reality was he didn't. He moved to the Gold Coast. And then, of course, coming back from Geelong, coming back to Geelong from the Gold Coast, once again, he was at a point of actually pulling the pin on playing at all. He was ready to retire if, in fact, Gold Coast and Geelong couldn't get it done and he would make the return because he'd made his mind up. He was coming back to Geelong to support his family through a really difficult time and you know, he is uh, a fantastic support for his family to this very day, and it was really important for him that he was back in this part of the world. 
Yeah, that support he's given to his family is, has not been talked about a lot and I'm pleased that uh, that, that has seen, sort of seen the light of day to the point that he wants it to because it, it is a, a very important mark of him as a, as a man. What about the future? I mean, he's finished playing now. Unfortunately, from his point of view, it didn't have the happy ending uh, on grand final day that he'd hoped for, but uh, what's his future? I think his future is in uh, creativity and he's a bit of an entrepreneur. He has a number of things going, including his exclusive insight storytelling with elite athletes, which is fantastic. That's an online forum that people can look up. And, of course, he's got the Adlot wines that have come out now. There's quite a range of wines for oh, those right that on. like a, a little bit of a red. So uh, watch out for that and you'll get your autograph bottle there, Kev, if uh, you choose to go down that particular pathway. Uh, he's got quite a number of initiatives, including the Active AK, which is um, take Gary will take you away in a small group to the Gold Coast and you'll get to exercise with Gary and you'll get to um, – be eating under the guidance of a, a dietitian and a cook, and it's almost like a health farm type experience oh. for a week. But you're working with Gary in a very, very small group. So, I mean, see what an opportunity to get to know Gary at a personal level. That's the sort of thing that he's into. He's a really, he's probably got a thousand thoughts a day about the way in which he might um, send a, a really positive message because he's he's fastidious about his eating, he's fastidious about his training, and he's really really deliberate about his, his faith and, and what sort of mark he might make on the world. So he is a, a really, really fine person. No, good stuff, Wes. Uh, congratulations. Uh, writing with someone uh, to, to present their story is a difficult task because you, you have to ask the hard questions, but you also have to be you know willing to uh, sort of go along with, uh, with their, because it is their story, not your version of it. That's exactly right. And I think also trying to find their voice within the story is one of the greatest challenges. I, I, I use a different language to Gary and I might be choosing different words to express the sorts of things that he's endeavouring to say but I was constantly battling with that making sure that this sounded like Gary and hopefully uh, we've done justice to him through the book and it'll be a really good read it's got a lot of pictures in it some fantastic images and Hardy Grant Publishing have done an absolutely brilliant job in terms of the overall presentation. Good stuff Wes congratulations mate well done and uh, uh, hopefully a, a big seller for you and for Gary. Thanks so much, Kevin. Wes Cusworth and Peter Hanlon, I thank them both uh, for their great work and also for their time in uh, having a chat to us on the Authorised Podcast. And a reminder that our great partners here on the podcast are CS Consulting Group. If you have a financial question, if you're uh, going through uh, your tax or you're going through your investment portfolio or you're just wanting to know uh, bits and pieces about your business or your personal finances, these are the people to talk to. Double nine seven four eight triple three is the number. It's in Melbourne. Uh, so if you're outside the Melbourne area listening to Authorised, it's 03. Double nine seven four eight triple three, and of course the website will tell you everything you need to know. CSCG.com.au. Whether it's a personal finance, business finance, whether it's lending, whether it's investing, whether it's whatever you want to do in the financial world, they have a person sitting there ready to talk to you about that very subject. Double nine seven four eight triple three. CSCG.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this edition of uh, Authorized, and of course uh, all available. Uh, our previous editions are available on uh, all the regular podcasting platforms. Hope you enjoy those as well. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Take care.